Hello, and welcome to the Three Wise DMs podcast, where three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long talk about how we handle all the tricky ins and outs of running a game of D&D or whatever else you might play. I'm Thorin, and like my namesake from The Hobbit, I suppose I'm leading this expedition. And I'm joined by... Tony and Dave. All right, guys, tonight, so this is actually, this is an interesting podcast because in some ways this revisits the argument that started the podcast in the first place. <clears throat> Rules versus continuity. And what it really comes down to is when you as a DM have something that the rules allow, but that you feel it violates the, the continuity of the universe, whether it's you think it should be physically impossible or it seems unrealistic or it is a problem where you're where, where the monsters you're playing with are too weak compared to it, essentially something that, that causes a problem that you need to decide, am I going to basically house rule against the rules as written in order to fix this continuity issue, which might have other issues, or am I going to live with it and just kind of adapt my game around it? And this really starts, uh, there's a conversation about this that uh, in a couple games we've had, goes back to things we've had with fourth edition. And I think in this case, Tony, once again, I think I'm going to kick off with you because this is really something that you've had, uh, you have strong feelings and strong arguments about. And uh, so tell me when it comes down to it, you know, what do you see as the problem here and how do you approach it? Well, I feel continuity is really one of the most important elements to your game. You're trying to sell to your players that you're an environment. The story is um, it's it's moving along and there are mechanics in your universe that they need to uh, abide by. And when that continuity breaks down, I think everything starts to unravel. Now, I've been throwing rules out the window for 20 years or more. <laughs> <laughs> honestly for those who played in first and second edition we took some rules looked at them and said oh what dwarves can go to ninth level that's gone so <laughs> rules is written i i feel like that was always racist really, that was always right racist. those poor dwarves so like, or they, like <laughs> they're dealing with that now and watching but oh, I, whole I, different episode whole yeah, different, different episode <laughs> you know so so, t- so tony go ahead i didn't mean to cut you off no, I'm, I'm just saying there that uh, we've, uh, in those previous uh, versions, um, rules of written weren't nearly as meaningful as they are in fifth. I feel like, I went in fourth too. I felt like fourth, yeah, there were yeah. certain groups of people who, were, who really are like, these are the rules and that's it. And in fifth, uh, the same belief system. But the previous editions, no, there was some stuff that was really all over the place. Go ahead. So why don't you, so Tony, I want to go, go a little deeper into what we're talking about here. So what to you, I mean, saying con- it breaks continuity is a little vague. What to you does it mean when something breaks continuity? Like what are some examples of things that you think either are either a problem or that you have just simply thrown out? In fourth edition, we had a real problem where I had players putting undead to sleep. Now in fifth edition, they fixed that. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. said at the time, yeah. I said, you putting a ghost to sleep and they're like, well, you're using a spell to cut the energy that keeps the ghost working. And I'm like, but you're using the same spell to put a goblin to sleep as you are a specter. It just it didn't work. And all the previous editions, they were very strongly and clearly outlined that you couldn't affect undead like that. Mm-hmm. So now in fifth edition, you'll see very clearly the sleep spell. They're like, no, it's not in the character write up, but it's in the spell write up where it just cuts yeah. that. And I felt that was a real breakdown of the continuity. Um, other situations, I think we may have co- covered this a little bit in an earlier podcast, but with uh, particularly with stunning, it's a yeah. wonderful and very game-breaking mechanic. In fourth edition, a thief could stun anything, and it was hilarious and ridiculous. <laughs> it was great if you're in the party, but my God, did that elven thief just punch a black dragon in the face who was a the equivalency of a fifth edition CR 26 and drop him? Yeah, he did. <laughs> and I think so, so this is to set some scene here in case people haven't listened to the past episodes, which, of course, we, we encourage you to do. Fourth edition, I think, you know, Tony and I played a lot of fourth edition. We had a game that I DM'd for over uh, two years. Tony DM'd several games. And it really it left an impression because fourth edition you know, if you go back to first and second edition, like you're saying, man, it's first and second edition were very light. They sat on top of the story you wanted to tell fairly light. So you could do almost anything at the same time. Half of the stuff in second edition, even which is more refined than first, theoretically, was still complete. 
bullshit. I mean, yeah, you you know, only only humans could dual class, only non-humans could multi-class. Some 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 of the races had level limits for like no good reason. Um, and one of the things that happened with that that you saw, and we're going back twenty years. I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about second edition, but everyone I know who who DM second edition and was successful in it and liked it and did it for a long time had house rules and the truth is a lot of us came to the same house rules everyone threw out the level limits everyone said you know yeah your elf can dual class and your human can multi-class it didn't matter it didn't hurt the game if they didn't um so when you're coming from that background it really is like i mean you're just used to saying to do second edition right you really had to go okay here's what i'm here's the story we're telling the character abilities are very loose, and most of what they're going to get as they advance is going to come from me anyway, because a lot of the advancement is through the DM-generated magic items and giving them titles and things like that, which they've toned down since then. Um, third edition comes out. So those were the TSR editions. Third edition comes out. WotC comes into the picture. WotC is, of course, the game, the company that got rich off Magic the Gathering. Wonderful game. Played it for a long time. Love WotC. But they did bring more of a gamer mentality to this classic RPG. Three point third edition and three point five edition, which is the crossover, got much more technically crunchy, although still pretty loose in terms of specific rules. And then fourth edition really kind of rewrote D and D almost as like a minis game. It's like a really in depth minis game. Very rigid rule set, very rigid powers. All the powers, magic and fighter powers, are very similar. So coming into fourth edition from the other editions, it did feel like okay, the way the powers work is different. And you ran into kind of almost card game type problems. So we're magic players. Um, and, and you ran into situations where some of the players were almost playing their characters like a deck of cards. So that people would come down. And once you got to combat, they were really min-maxy with it. They were really, they weren't just power gaming it. They were setting up like card combos for like, like, like there were hard locks. Um, there was a lot of stun effects that no one could, that you couldn't save against. So like there were characters like the rogue who'd say, okay, first round out and use my daily power, stun them. Now using encounter power, stun him again. Another daily power, stun him again. We did have a fight with Cthulhu where Cthulhu literally spent the entire fight stunned. That is true. Um, mm. Fifth edition is a step back towards the looseness of first and second edition, but only by degrees. There's still a lot of stunning powers, a lot of powers that do either stuns or knockdowns or things like that. Now they have a saving throw almost every time. And a lot of monsters now have legendary saves. So if you're in a fight with Cthulhu, he's going to automatically save for the first few rounds. But it does create that problem of, okay, can the monk stun Cthulhu? Well, Cthulhu is not immune to stun, and that is the monk's power. In the book, it says it works pseudo-magically through key. However, that can create problems of, you know, the DM, if your world, if, you, if your martial characters aren't able to stun someone with punches and you don't like that idea, now that's a continuity issue, right? So that's just some background. Um, I've really rambled on here, but uh, it's, uh, that kind of cover kind of kind of the kind of where we're coming into this from, kind of coming from this fourth edition experience where stun and the power character effects got crazy if we didn't rein them in. And then also if you took them away, characters were hamstrung and players were upset because their card deck wouldn't do what they built it to do. So now we're in fifth edition, kind of trying to feel our way through a fixed version of it. But if you, if you shut down someone's power, you solve that issue of, well, that's something he picked. That's part of part of what he got for leveling up. So if you shut down a power, the player is still losing something significant compared to the other characters. Uh, Tony, is that, is that kind of, does that, that scene setting sound about right to you? Do you agree with that? Do you disagree with any of it? No, that's pretty on par, man. So, I mean, that's kind of the issue. I mean, Dave, so you came into this, you've really come in without the baggage me and Tony bring to the table. <laughs> you played some older games, but I mean, I mean, for me and Tony, who put decades into first and second edition, I mean, there's baggage. There's a ton coming in. How's this look to you as someone who's kind of come into this a little newer without that really kind of in-depth ancient history kind of lesson? Yeah, so as I've said before, you know, I'm the Bilbo of the party, right? Because I'm the newbie here, in a way. Uh, but I'm kind of like, I'm like Bilbo after he finds, like, Sting. You know, yeah, he's not yeah. completely useless at this point, you know. You're a proper thief now. His... We, all, we, all, we all accept yeah, you as exactly, proper, exactly. wise DM, which we yeah, all exactly. talk, firmly in cheek. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, like I did, I, I played a good amount of first edition, um, you know, Redbox and, and the basic rules and that kind of stuff. Uh, and then a whole a whole long time that I wasn't really playing much. Uh, then I came back, was playing a little bit of Pathfinder for a couple of years, uh, which was in essence 3.5 homebrewed. Uh, and then Paizo just decided to release it. And now I've been playing a good amount of fifth in several different uh, campaigns and, and one-offs and everything. Um, yeah, I think what, what we're kind of talking about is 
one rules and that's always going to be a sticking point i think for D. but secondly with tony's point i think what we're talking about is verisimilitude is the idea mm-hmm. that your world because the whole point of D and rpgs is to be immersed in the storytelling to to feel like you are doing it not my character did it but i'm doing it so if it's breaking that verisimilitude or continuity as we're calling it uh that's where i think you can start to um start to maybe get uh some people maybe miffed um but again i i personally think that like you've said thorn fifth has really gotten a lot of these things right without being so uh this is how it has to be yeah they've you given know, you, you a set of seriously streamlined and tight rules and then they i went back today because we were going to be talking about this and i read i opened up the dmg and they said yeah, whatever you want to use, feel free to throw it out, you know? And they, they do. They really do. This. Yeah, they're still going back to to what, you know, Gygax and Arneson were kind of talking about. You bring up a good point, though, and I think, you know, we should address this because the most common argument against any verisimilitude continuity argument is that, well, you're playing a game with fireballs and sleep spells and dragons <laughs> and fairies. Who gives a shit about reality? <laughs> yeah. Um, however, I think for many, uh, not just for us, but I do think even in a fantasy-based game, I think the idea that there are real physics helps is important. It just doesn't just help. I think it is essential to grounding the game. If you have a game where it's just kind of like, well, whatever my character wants to have happen, happen, you have no sense of reality that you're playing in, and your game universe sort of falls apart. I think. I mean, I mean, so Tony, what do you? I mean, I mean, yeah. So what about for for uh, for you though? Uh, what do you think of that? Like, if someone just says, well, why do you give a shit? There's magic anyway. Well, going a little bit off of that. Uh, we're going to go back to your fight with uh, we fought Cthulhu in fourth edition. Um, my analogy with this was, and I, my fame, my coin phrase here: Could a monk stun Unicron? Now, <laughs> I'm gonna take a really weird take on this. I don't care mechanically about this at all. Whether this is ruining the fight, I'm just asking the question: Can a monk, whether he's He's the fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons version of One Punch Man, and he does this flying punch, and he hits him, and it's a bolt of thunder, and he hits this giant that's five miles tall in the big toe, and Unicron's like, ah, I'm stunned. Now, he's got legendary resistances. Okay, I get that, but the point stands. Eventually, you run him out. Could it happen? That is my question. Could, Could it happen? And my answer to that is, well, is Unicron immune to stun? I mean, he's not a real 5e official character, so, I mean, I, I could stake the case, but so few creatures really are. Tiamat is, and mm. that's about the only thing I think off the top of my head. You could stun a lich. You can't stun a dem lich, though. I mean, <laughs> very, exceptions. There, there are times where you you need to look at that and go, like, I don't know, I've done some spoof adventures where I made you guys fight a Godzilla-like gargantuan creature. And I just can imagine, like, Godzilla comes out of the Japanese ocean and the monk runs up and sweeps his leg. And he's like, ah, I'm stunned. What were you telling me about tripping a dragon the other day? About the yes. ability? So, and this is, this is, so this, came, that. so this came up and this is one of the things that we were, uh, this, this does factor in here. There's actually many of those cases factor in here. To set the scene, though, one of the things that you just brought up there, can a monk stun Unicron? Well, that really depends on how you frame the stunning, doesn't it? Can a monk walk up, punch Unicron in the toe, and stun him? That doesn't sound like it's a very good reason he's stunned, but isn't that on the DM to figure out how do I explain this in such a way that that makes sense? The monk can't stun Unicron by t- by just randomly punching his arm. However, maybe the monk's like the, the monk ability is showing it uses key to disrupt something. So perhaps the monk is able to punch him and send key in in disrupt his systems like it's a temporary EMP that the monk is able to send through Unicron through his key. So I think son, how you describe this stuff really makes a huge difference. And part of my issue, and I'm a little bit, I've, I've got to make the counterpoint a little bit on continuity, because part of my issue is that when it comes down to the DM saying, well, that could never happen, but the rules do, there's two things we need to keep in mind. One is that the character, the player character has invested in ability points something in doing that effect like so if a wizard is casting a spell to put someone to sleep and theor- and by roll that creature can be put to sleep well the wizard is using a first level spell to make that happen now if the creature's immune to that great but if the dm's just like yeah does that work 
nah, well, then then you kind of have now the player is picking stuff where he has to think about, all right, well, it looks like it works. But, well, frankly, it's I know now the player needs to pick his stuff through kind of the DM screen of bullshit. And that can get frustrating as a player. Um, so I think there's a counterpoint here, which is that on the one hand, you need to have verisimilitude and things need to be to make sense within the world. And I do believe that. I'm actually a guy who's going back and later on, you'll see it on threewisedms.com. I'm going to post a revised armor list that actually gets more historically accurate with the armors. I'm a big fan of historical martial arts. I'm a big fan of historical armors. The D&D version of them is not very well done. I think there's a better way to do it. I'll put that out there later because I want that to be more realistic. I want the physics of that to, to make more sense. But at the same time, if we're going to say that the monk can't stun more things than the, than the monster manual says he can't stun, we're going to start kind of applying stun immunity more broadly whatever the dm doesn't want to have knocked out you're really hamstringing the monk against other characters you're hamstringing the monk against well, other characters i will jump in here real quick two things that i'd like to make a point of one is that this kind of came up in our game our authors group game that we just had thorn yep. uh this past weekend where uh my cleric uh we had stupidly uh decided to uh, fall into a nest of harpies um so you know hey it happens but um they had char i i had knocked out the charm the the luring song that they have <clears throat> um but my compatriot who was up in the tree with me did not began to get pulled in i then with my round i had i had first initiative so i cast dispel magic and there was kind of a second there where we went, well, is it magical? And I knew what Thorne yeah. was doing. He was going through the monster manual and kind of looking because it was almost like it was a, it wasn't a spell effect. It was a, like a class ability, let's say. Right. But he kind of went, huh. And we, you know, with the description that we had from the player's handbook of the spell, he went, no, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You dispel it. And it does um, specify that it's a magic effect. So that was part of it. Right. Had they not specified it was a magic effect, I might, probably would not have allowed it. The tricky part was there is that the spell magic actually is specific to – it was on the fly. I might have ruled it wrong, but the spell magic specific to, no, I loved it. to spells and, and, and enchantments. I decided it just works. Plus, you know, honestly, I want you guys to get out of there. Did it work right. that way? We had a we had a one we had a one combat long one combat multi level yeah, fight. Was, uh, like like that was the whole night was that one multi level fight in the tree. Um, but it was good. It was good. Yeah, but so that that kind of comes down to. But to get back to like, cause that's a little bit part of it. Does it make sense for a dispel magic to shake off this effect? And I do kind of go back to the keywords to decide that personally, but that's, that's rule is I actually feel like I, I like I did that by raw. I don't feel like I kind of went against raw. Absolutely. But my, my second point to it though, was that one was that, but the second also is that what we're really talking about and what I think Tony is getting at uh, just from talking to him now for some time is the idea of the big boss battle, right? Your mm, BBG. Yeah, yeah. And it's, can you stun Strahd? Can you stun uh, the King of Giants? Can you stun Unicron? Can you stun an ancient black dragon? And 5th edition has built a lot of stuff into it that dismisses that, okay? But I know now, Tony, what he likes to do with the, I'm the big bad, and I'm going to fight you one-on-one. -on -one. Well, one-on-one five right whatever it might be or six Where, or seven right. but but, it, if, but it's like if yeah, we're it's really like getting it, into the if we're getting yeah. into the idea of the big bad what are you doing you're you're getting through the whole temple so you're wasting resources you're you're hand you're hamstringing the party to a point that they don't just have full blast for the big bad or the big bad has other minions or other things that the monk is going to have to deal with too you know, and I think that's really where we're getting at is the idea of what Tony likes as the the grand finale of <laughs> the adventure. Right. And if you it'll be very disappointing as for the DM to be like, cool, you just stunned him the whole time. And now he's dead. She's well, dead. Well, I'm not saying we're traumatized from this. I'm, I'm not saying <laughs> traumatized that. Traumatized players. <laughs> refer back to episode one for traumatized players so, and the uh, definition. <laughs> I mean, and that, and that did come up actually in the game we had. So the game, uh, Tony, the game you DM'd, uh, the game you just DM'd where we had the Yeti fight, the party was sneaking in. We had taken out one Yeti. We had one Yeti fight where we took out the Yeti before it knew what was happening. We, we killed it in one round of attacks. Mm -hmm. And then coming up on the big Yeti, we were trying to sneak, 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 sneak. But by the time we saw him, he saw us. 
And it's like, you know, it's yeah, like, it's like when it comes to the big guy, well, when it comes to the big guy, the sneak, no matter what the players do, the sneak goes out the window. You want them to be head on. Is that kind of, is that accurate? Or do we just fail our roles there? Uh, he, the, the abominable Yeti has advantage on any perception checks involving smell. So he smells you guys. Okay. Yeah. So, so there you go. But, um, I, we've all fudged a few dice. I mean, let's not say that we haven't. I try not to. I really do like to roll everything openly. Like when I was a D, when we actually got with the pre-corona, you know, all my, I, there was no screen. I'm like right on the table. You played with that way, people? I know. Oh my God. Remember Back those days? Nine. Yeah. Uh, I used to play with my Hey guys, we're friends. in the yellow the zone. We can start doing it again. We just got to get it back together. Yeah, we'll just put the tables like six feet apart. It'll be great. So, um, Tony, you would roll completely out in the open, huh? Yes. Nice. But here's the thing. This is very important, what I liked about that. If I slammed somebody with a nat 20, I'm like, well. There it or, is. Or if the big boss choked the save, I'm like, there it is. I'm not bending the story anyway to fit my narrative. This is the randomness. This is what happened. So I really... You know, I, I like that element of the game, but there's times where it's like, come on, they beat you on an initiative and they're beating the crap out of my boss. And it's round two. Like it's <laughs> and we that, did actually stuff. in that Yeti fight. I believe we killed the Yeti in round two, didn't we? I mean, there was there was a potion of speed you'd thrown out there that had a lot to do with it. Oh, boy. It's a, a hell of a thing. Put a lot of damage on him. Hell of a um, thing. But to, okay, well, so let's go, let's go back. We used a, we had done a. It's it's again. It goes back to what is happening at your table and your mm-hmm. players because in that group, uh, the Storm Kings group, we've really gotten pretty good at building off of each other, right? Yeah. Our tactics, right? So me, uh, you know, stopping him from being able to just walk out at us because he would have to walk through the cloud of daggers that I had thrown out, right? So in essence, mm-hmm. like we were utilizing our tactics well, and that makes it just that much harder for the yeah, DMs it's, it's, to, to come at us, you know? There are tactical ways to come out of that party that will be a real problem. It is yeah. haven't come up yet. Yes. Um, yeah. Oh, they will. There are ways. Like, there are like definitely nine ways. Frost to is that I mean, a that, good tactical? That's way? a party with one barbarian, one fighter, but he's a He's a battle master with de- with high decks and not great constitution. So he's a little bit of a glass cannon. Um, and then everyone else is basically, huh? What is Zhang Fei's con in that game? What is your constitution? I want to say 16, maybe 15. Oh, okay. All right. So not terrible. Well, okay. I mean, 15 For a bugbear, it's pretty, I mean, it's yeah. like, it's like, it's like, uh, but he has basically has a 20 strength and an 18 decks. And that's after his first, that's after his ASIs. Yeah. So, so he's really... He has a higher armor class, but I mean, and he's, I've also, he has advantage. He has, he has some stealth of, he has some stealth he wants to use. So I've been trying to keep him out of heavy armor. So he is really kind of like, he's just trying to dodge stuff and he's got parry (laughs) if he needs it. Um, But there are, there are ways to, I mean, there are ways to challenge that party that have more to do with attacking them from where they're not expecting. Cause there are a lot of squishy targets in it. Mm. I mean, if a, if a Yeti comes up and sneaks up behind the back line, when we're engaging something in front of us, that back line is going to have a lot of blood state, a lot oh of blood. Oh my state. God. I'm so afraid. I'm literally one hit away from death. I, I feel like I've done a good job then. Yeah. I mean, that'll, that'll come up. That'll come up. Um, but to get back to what you mentioned though, can, okay. So can amongst Sun Unicron. Now, because that is the other side of this argument. So the one argument is I don't want my big boss to get anticlimactically taken down. I think 5th edition handles yep. that fairly well with legendary resistances and things like that. But yes. you do have a problem with lower level bosses where I could certainly see the Yeti getting wiped out before he gets an attack. Honestly, had we snuck up on him the way we did the party earlier in that game, we probably would have taken down that Yeti before he got a chance to attack. Um and that I think can happen up probably at least until you get through like 11th or 12th level. You need to get into like the third, the, the fourth tier before I think that before those legendary th- things really kick in. Um, but then the other side of it is describing it. So we were talking uh, this week, Tony, about so that character, that battle master just got trip. Trip is you make the you know, you basically make an attack. You spend your superiority die and then the, the victim has to make a strength saving throw or fall down. So for a yeah. group, now, the thing is, now there are some limits. It's, I think, larger, smaller creatures, um, and they do get a strength saving throw. So the question okay. becomes, can something like that take down a large-sized dragon or flyer 
And even more philosophically, if that large limit was not on there, could it take down a dragon? Now, my point of view would be that, okay, so you can actually do this with a bow, the way that's, that ability is set up. So what do I do if the Battlemaster shoots something flying, it's a large thing, it's tough, and it fails at save? Well, I think there, yeah, the Battlemaster basically shot it in the wing or in the wing joint, and that caused its one wing to, to, to be paralyzed or you know, temporarily taken out, and it falls. And then it takes damage. You know I mean? If the thing's 100 feet up, it's 10d6 damage. That sounds like a lot. That's an average of... 35 damage. I mean, it's not most things that are really kind of boss monster level are going to take that fall and shrug it off. They're just going to die a turn faster. Uh, they're not going to die immediately. Usually um, with the monk stunning Unicron, I think the DM's got to figure out, okay, well the she does this to stun Unicron. Um, you know, but I think that, I think that when you think about how could it happen, it's not hard to come up with the reasons it could happen. Even if you just put a little effort into it. Well, if we're going to warp, the monk's power to do what you'd like it to like it's going to do an emp blast i mean well it's just it's just it's described it's very fluid then at that point it is described it it is described as chi energy disrupts the target right there is yeah you you have but again i i'm i'm a little bit more on i I love uh continuity and versatility and all of that but i'm kind of more on thorin's side here where it's for fifth for fifth specifically there's so much built into it that stops that from happening. When we're talking legendary resistances, we're talking three times. That's three rounds that it can stop to do that. And that's not including the amount of times the monk is going to try to do that. With that said, because, uh, again, critical misses are only for misses as written in the rules, right? But if he, even if a dra- the dragon right rolls a one, it still has like a plus 15 on its saves, <laughs> right? So like it's almost impossible, almost impossible for it to 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 uh to lose the save, right? To fail the save. So and what if it does? That makes that character, that that player feel like Thor. And that's awesome, right? It doesn't necessarily end the combat because now, now it's on the ground and it breathes fire out and kills the whole goddamn party, right? <laughs> <laughs> or a cone of cold, right? <laughs> well, there's times where, yeah, you're, you're a monk instead of stun a dragon, which on the face of it I find utterly preposterous. That's my personal take on that. I mean, you want to start getting... But here it is. Here, here's, here's my point against that, though. I understand you find it utterly preposterous, but when the player is picking their character and picking the character's abilities, should that player have to weigh in with, is my DM going to disallow this because of what might be perceived as DM bullshit? And I will say, and, and let's, so let's, let's, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of backstory here in the game where I'm playing that battle master, I wanted to come in as a monk, but I was aware of the way Tony had an issue with stun. And I, as I read about the monk, I realized, okay, the monk stuns a lot. So I'm going to talk to the DM about how is that going to be played out. And I actually chose not to take monk because knowing how you feel about stun, knowing how that might be adjudicated, and knowing how I'm going to get frustrated if I think I'm stunning things that aren't being that aren't allowed to be stunned, that would ruin the game for me. So I actually didn't play the monk, and it took me a day to figure out what I wanted to play instead. Then eventually I thought about it. I fell in love with the battle master. I love the way this guy's going. But it was like that was a very, as a player, a very negative playing experience in that I can't pick the character I want to pick because the DM is going to not go by the book and adjudicate him in a way that will make me weaker compared to other party members. Keeping in mind that the monk doesn't do as much damage as some other characters, the idea is the monk makes up for it with status effects. So, I mean, that there is a, there is a price here. There is a player, there, by saying that I'm not going to let the player's ability work the way it's written because that goes against my story. You are, t- you, you are making the player p- pay a price for basically keeping your verisimilitude. And I think that's the other side of this that we got to keep in mind. The book says they can do these things when the DM says, well, that character can't, especially if a, you're okay with a wizard doing it, but not a monk doing it. You're really now kind of saying to the player, well, I just don't like your character. Uh, well, is he, are we talking about a really specific rare seventh level spell like Power Word Stun? Are we talking about a thunderclap from a super rare Hammer Thunderbolts or some ability this guy picks up at fifth level and he can apply it at the end of an attack if he chooses? I'm not saying that it utterly breaks the game, but there's points where I don't want. I mean, 
I am I going to come against the monk class entirely? No, but yes, yes he is. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Fuck the monk. I mean, I'll bleep that out. Um, <laughs> I don't think we're bleeping anything. We've been pretty. We've been we've been a little potty mouth this episode. I apologize uh, to any children uh, listening. Uh, don't play uh, around. Get used to it, kids. Get used to it. This but, is I mean, the world. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't want to. I mean, I don't want. I'm looking at this, and I've not had a monk in my campaign, so I have to preface this. And I also came back and said this, all joking aside, if we rolled our characters dice up, like we, we you know, use the rolling method. So our characters in our all the games I'm in and have played in had some pretty fat stats. So if you want to come with a raise and you, you want to really do it by the book in every respect, that's fine. But that's not the kind of campaigns that we've typically been running. Well. But the 4d6 is still by the book. Array is also by the book, but array also means your character most likely starts out with an 18 and it's prime and it's prime requisite, which is pretty much exactly what the Battlemaster is. I mean, no, 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 the no, Battlemaster no. has a high save. Dave. No, you can't get an 18 off of the array. I think the highest stat you get is a 15. So even with the racial bonuses, you're still talking about a 17. I, I have to. Oh, well, maybe. I thought, you start, I thought you started with a 16 in your high. Yeah. And, and I, I actually, I think array is kind of cool, but no, I mean, I'm all about rolling too, but I see what Tony is saying is that if somebody's rolling in with you know like four 18s and a you know and a 12 <laughs> and, and, a, and a 10 and i'm like well i could stay at home and play with myself that's great all right so i'm gonna put this monster out it's tough you've stunned it i'm gonna go take a leak let me know when you killed it so but to bring up the uh as far as the monk goes i mean there's two conversations here the one is what happens when the player abilities take the drama out of a, what is supposed to be a dramatic fight or they impact the world in ways the DM doesn't think they should? The other aspect is that some martial characters have abilities that used to be re, uh, reserved only for magic users and casters. And in some ways, in a ton, so, so, I mean, with the monk conversation, Tony, that's a bit of your issue, right? You don't feel like Key should be able to do some of these things or it's a little awkward that it can to you. Because you can see, I mean, how, how do you see the way Key should work? Well, specifically in relation to that ability, a monk hypothetically could strike Unicron in his big toe with a non-magical Joe stick, inflict zero damage, and stun him. That's a little problematic. For well, me. Unicron does As- get a save, and the monk is somewhat limited in that he has to spend a key point. However, key points are easy to come by from what I understand. I haven't played one now. <laughs> It's not even like I'm saying that I believe that the monk would specifically ruin your campaign or ruin all of your boss battles. But what I am saying is there are some situations where I just don't see it applying in the broad perspective as the rules is written. That's all. I will say so I can actually give you guys that I haven't actually played a monk. Uh, I am. uh, My brother is playing a monk in that in that in a text uh, thing that we're we're doing but um i will say you guys um it's huge now uh critical role uh their second season one of the characters and it's six of them playing okay so it's a large party um one of them plays a monk um so i see a lot of the stun the stunning strike the uh uh extract aspects uh, Mm. all kinds of stuff because they're actually playing a, a monastic tradition that matt mercer created himself uh, like a homebrew of it. Yeah. Um, and I gotta tell you, it's not like that character uh, is any more or less powerful than any of the other characters. Doesn't shine any more than the other ones do. And you have a, a wide array. There's wizard and a paladin and a warlock and a cleric, two clerics. You know, mm-hmm. none of them shine any more than the other ones. So I don't see how this why one specific. Uh, class and one specific class attribute is is somehow game breaking. Uh, I would say this does seem a little like traumatized player thing, just from the fourth edition thing where mm. you have there's no like if there's Steve, no. Steve, it was only save, two full campaigns. I mean, <laughs> right? But I'm but I'm saying is like it's like the idea that you don't get to save from it and anybody can do it. I mean, that's obviously ridiculous. That's not at all how well, that they currently have material yeah. rules is written. They yeah. roll that stuff out at the gold standard. Yeah. And that their argument in that time was that, well, the dragon has a really high fort defense rating. He's really difficult to hit. Well, hang on. The thief would get a potion to drink. So you get a free reroll. So if his roll wasn't that hot, he'd get another reroll. 
punch that dragon in the gut. And, and in case you don't realize what happens when you're stunned, you're right fucked. Your defense oh, falls to nothing. shitter, and it's <laughs> over. It, it's like you tripped Andre the Giant. Everybody starts like jumping down on him. They hit with the folding chair. Uh, yeah, they they didn't stop. They didn't stop that. You're fucked for the whole round. But again, yeah. like there's a lot that can happen now with that. And so, but you know, it's you know the the, the way the rule the rules interact that way. But it, to, to me, I think the more interesting question is, okay, what do we do about it? You know, so on the one, so you can, you can, you know, I mean, there are a couple options. You can just fudge some rolls. You know, you can, you, you, I read a you, DM the face comment that said do that. No what's kidding. that? You did? I, no, I do mm-hmm. think the problem with that, though, I know, in, 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 I, I hate that. Thing, well, me too. I tend to let it, you know, this comes back to my philosophy as a DM as well. So there's two sides to this for me. One is that as a player, I really want to explore what that character does, which means I want his powers to work. So if his powers aren't working and I feel like and if it's like, OK, one of my powers isn't working, but everyone else's power works. I am going to feel like that's unfair. And that is going to stick with me. It's going to sit in my crawl and it's going to I'm going to have a bad time if we're doing that. So, I mean, it really was like, a, OK, you know, I'm not going to play. If you play a monk in this game, I felt like you were going to have a bad time. And that's why I bailed when something else. Something else that happens to run into some similar issues when you get into trip attack and things like that. Um, but beyond that, as a DM, I really do have that player that player agency uh, philosophy that I bring to the game. So to me, you know, there was a game we played in second edition, Tony, where I DM'd you. You guys were high level. At one point, one of the characters I'd given, I mean, you were high level. We're talking 20th level. The priest has become a paragon for his god. One of the god's gifts are you can use divine wish once per year. And I had this big dragon flight coming in. And Johnny, <laughs> you actually said to him, you know, you know what we need to do about this? I want you to divine wish because theoretically divine wishes will do literally anything and no, no limits. And you, t- you advised him to divine wish all the dragons in the stone. And he did. And I let it happen. And it rained stone dragons. You know, I do tend to just like philosophically as a DM, I want to let it play out. And if I'm not happy with the outcome, I'm not going to counter that by undermining the power. I'm going to counter that by what? Okay. Yes. And I'm going to, yes, I'm going to improvise. I'm going to yes. And it into here's what happens next. And we're going to keep having a game and here's what's going to happen. That absolutely did play out that way. That's a fair accounting of the situation. But if I'm in a situation where, okay, like we're sitting around, you know, Castle Grayskull, what's happening today, guys, the Masters of the Universe? Oh, an army of dragons is flying at us. Well, we have to have an equally ridiculous response. (laughs) Because we're not going to go out there and melee all these freaking guys to pieces here. Um, So, yes, no, you did not limit it in that respect. As a DM, I also want to have fun. And amazingly, and I, I can't, I, I can't, I could not handle it. It's like, okay, so what's happening? And the black pudding stunned. And I animated a couch and I'm attacking you. And the monk stunned the couch. It could do it, right? I mean, what's stopping him from stunning a sofa? How about my car? I mean, like, where do we, where are we drawing the line here? Um, well, now you, you bring up two things there. One is that as a DM, you have to have fun. Uh, and that is really important because if you're not having fun as a DM, and I think this is an issue we're going to talk about more in future episodes, but it certainly underlies a lot of this. If as a DM, you're not having fun, no one has a game. So you have to be able to DM in a way that you're going to have fun. Or you're not going to want to do it and you're going to bail and no one's going to have a good time. And then no one can play. Uh, the flip side is that you need to be, you know, when it comes to limiting player powers, now you can put your player in a position where your player is not having fun. So I think, you know, there's got to be a way of handling it. You, gotta, you, you have to have a strategy for handling it one way or another. Um, but the other thing you were mentioning there, you know, where is the limit? Well, that's a rules thing. And by rule, there is nothing. I mean, unless those are immune to stun and most things aren't immune to stun, they can be stunned. That she can basically disrupt the magical control of the couch. And then it comes down to the DM. <laughs> <laughs> but why, why is that any more ridiculous? I don't, yeah, I don't, think that, that, I don't, I don't see why that's, that's more of a problem than a wizard than a wizard disenchanting it or the wizard well, animating well, it. The wizard can't power words on a couch. I'm cutting it there. I'm like, no, you can't, you can't go. You know what this sounds like? This sounds. I don't know if you guys ever watched The Big Bang Theory, but there's oh, one yeah, epi- the there's thing. one episode where they're talking about. Uh, I think Sheldon asked Penny, like, you know, what the problem with the movie Superman is, the first Superman the movie is, and she's like, oh, a man that can fly, I know, and he's like, no, 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 that's totally. I mean, I can get with that, you know, suspension of disbelief, but there's levels of it, and he's like. But as a physicist, when he's flying up to catch her and she's falling at 10 meters per second per second, is that right? And he hits her at that point. 
she'll be sliced into ribbons, right? Because of the forces. <laughs> and Leonard, I think, goes, well, no, he could slow down just at that time. And she's like, in what space, sir? In what space? <laughs> you know. So I think what we're talking about here, to a, to a point, is um, there's always a suspension of disbelief because we're playing mm-hmm. fantasy things. We're throwing fireballs and there are elves and, and you know, and Cthulhu and all of this. But w- there's levels to the point where you go, Oh, well, you know, that's just, you know, that 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 goes past the point of versatility of reality it, within the reality that we we've, we've agreed to. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but secondly, uh, just um, I think a lot of this has to do with the psychology of the game, too, uh, and the difference between the psychology as a DM and then the psychology as a player, because you read those episodes, those encounters wildly differently. I knew exactly what was happening in that Yeti fight from Tony's end. He threw a bunch of big monsters at us and was like, this is going to be a fight. And we creamed them hard. Now, as a DM, which I ran into with the the Slaver's Bay ones, the gladiators, because you guys would just, you're just beasts, right? Just pounding on stuff. As the DM, you're like, oh, geez, I'm not like creating enough of a challenge for him. But is there not enough uh, tension? Is there not blah, 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 blah. Um, but as a player, you're like, hell yeah, we just did. Eat it, you know? So it's 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 that difference of what are, what are the expectations when you're behind the screen and when you're on the other side of the screen, too, you know? So well, I mean, the, the pl- players love looking – the players love it when their characters look cool. Absolutely. Players love it when they're like, I mean, when a player comes up, play, there's a difference between a, an encounter that goes easy in the players feeling like the encounters are no challenge. You know, if the players put effort into it and the encounter went easy because the players came up with a plan and they enacted like a Navy SEAL team and creamed the thing, your players are engaged in having fun. Yeah. If the players mm-hmm. come up to anything Agreed. and they don't worry about it, they just go and just spit, roll the die and destroy it. Then there's lack of challenge. As long as your players are engaging with something to the extent where they're like, okay, we need to come at this with a plan and they're getting together. They're coming up with a plan and they're executing that plan. I don't care how quick that fight went. That is an engaged player group. That is exactly what I want yeah, to say. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. So on the other hand though, there is that, that, that aspect though, from the DM's point of view and sometimes from the player's point of view of, okay, well that was the boss battle and the boss died before he got to attack us. One or two of those is great because the players will actually react to that as, yeah, we had a lot of fun. But if every boss battles like that, you will never have a climax. And that's kind of the, the flip side of that. Yeah, playing yeah. on easy mode is fun for a time, right? Playing Madden on easy mode is awesome for a game or two. But then you're like, okay, well, now this is boring because now I'm just firing 80-year bombs, you know? There was a time we busted into a um, an ogre, that ogre camp, and we later got TPK'd, but previous episode. <laughs> but we blew out the ogre chieftain before he could attack. And once in a while, that's great. But... It can't, Thorne's absolutely right. It can't be, and that's kind of where my point ties in. Yes, I understand you set your character up like this. The same token, is this going to be every fight? And if it is, then yeah, it's it's baby, it's baby easy mode. This character will set his character up to stun all these monsters. The characters will be stunned. The monsters will be stunned. Other guys will mop his asses up, and that will be that. Well, that's Which a was basically two, that was uh, two two-year fourth edition campaigns just with a wizard doing it and then with a thief doing it. So it's like I'm hating the monk. The monk couldn't even fucking stun anything in fourth edition. <laughs> I, I will say fourth edition had several broken characters. The orb wizard was ridiculous. Oh my the, God. The, the stunning rogue could get ridiculous. We didn't even get into all the kinds of ridiculous, but your orb wizard could show up in a game and just be like, okay, DM all your monsters. Yeah, stop. Just go home. Take your monsters and go home. And that was that, that, that was broken. That, and and they admitted that. And they I don't know if they ever publicly admitted that, but they dealt with it. But I think that's I think was the, the writers actually like committed sepku in shame. <laughs> but you segue into what I think is the most important aspect of this, which is you know we want this to be an advice podcast. So what do you do about it? There's a couple things strategically that we've talked about. That I think we should really spotlight on. You know, okay, how can you use DM tactics to deal with these problems without necessarily undermining what the player character can do and ruining the players and and, and, because you got to have fun the players need to be challenged the story needs to have its climactic beats and all the players need to have fun with their characters so what can you do to solve this the right way or solve this in a way that is more organic than kind of allowing or disallowing number one and this this is a little bit at odds with the climactic battle scene because the biggest way to under to to 
the biggest way to offset specifically the monk's stun ability, but also several abilities like it, is to have multiple monsters in the encounter. So if you have a monk who's stunning all your big bad guys, the trick is to have multiple things in there he has to deal with. And then also I think it's totally fair to kill the, to, to, to kill the stunner first, <laughs> you know, put that monk under enough pressure so he can't come over and just stun your big bad guy. However, and Antony, you like having big solo monsters. You like that big final fantasy Sephiroth and all his forms kind of encounter. And you can't do that. I'm if he has a lot so. of monsters to play. Yeah, did Sephiroth have, like, his goons with him in that last battle in FF7? No, he did Even with that said, we don't want the battle to get bogged down. No matter what system I'm playing in, like, second edition played that pretty smooth. First edition pretty smooth. Third edition was meh. Fourth and fifth get a little tricky when you have all these monsters with all these powers you're keeping track of. Even, and, and of course, I'm using, I'm doing Source King's Thunder, where the, the whole freaking module is basically, um, you know, pre-made. So I'm like, okay, this guy's stunning everything. Uh, this is the encounter, folks. Shrug. Mm. Like, So that's fair. So if you have a solo and you're worried about him getting shut down by something, Legendary resistance is a great is a great thing to have on him or, or some sort of resistance like that. If you really have the one big bad and he's been stunned once and the monk goes to stun him a second time, that's where I might fudge a roll. You know, honestly, if, if, if the stun worked once and the big bad is now he's going to spend another turn stunned, I might fudge that roll. To, to be totally fair with you, or I might maybe I just boost his maybe I maybe I behind the scenes boost his saving throws. Or maybe depending on the kind of big bad he is, and it's and we're only talking about the solo, right? We're not talking about multiples, which it yeah. undoubtedly would be. But let's say just a, probably some sort of magic user probably has a ton of spells that are reaction based. So once the monk rolls up, boom, something happens, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Also, just because the monster manual says that the a zombie has this stuff, well, yeah, that zombie does. That doesn't mean that every zombie in the world is exactly has 12 hit points and an armor class of 11, I, right? I swear just by like, that, actually. Just like not every yeah. paladin is exactly the same. Every paladin, every cleric, every wizard gets to be like, different, right, for the players. Why can't the monsters then do it? If we're talking about literally... A 20th level legendary world breaking villain probably going to have a couple tricks up its sleeve. Also, probably going to know the party's tactics prior to them showing up because he's not just sitting in his tower going, I can't wait till they come and kill me. Sure, he's, he has spies. He knows what they try to do. He has anti-magic things set up. He has things to fly to take melee people out of the equation, right? I mean, just like any any superhero battle, there's always multiple things that are that are going wrong for them, including terrain, environment, uh, I, gee, I, you know, meteor swarm, whatever. So right? it's, it's, it's it still kind of comes down to adding. It kind of comes down to the count. So counter monstering to some extent. In, in adding elements to shake it up so they can't just rely on their same thing. Having said that, I do think, so what you have though is you have a player who picked an ability to be able to use that ability. And for that player to have fun, his abilities have to work. So I think you need to balance it. I think even if it's annoying, you need to let it work as written most of the time. But when it comes down to it, maybe then you break it up. I, I have no problem at all, by the way. Every now and then you'll have a player DM argument that goes, well, the, the monster shouldn't know what I do. If you're over ninth level and you've been taking out everyone using these same tricks, the smart monsters are going to have heard of you. You're going to have a reputation and they're going to start counter-programming. Not everyone, but it's going to happen. You're going to have start having guys show up like, ha-ha, I prepared for you anti-magic yeah. shell that, or whatever they're going to do. might know what you're doing, right? Yeah. <laughs> when, it comes, when it comes to your big bad, actually, if you really want to have a smart super villain that super villain probably looks at your characters like lex luther looks at superman like all right what's the what's his weakness kryptonite fantastic kryptonite battle armor there you go because i'm the big issue 100 bad guy and issue 100 is going to be harder than normal yeah. issues and also before you got to me you just fought Meta, uh metallo right and he opened up his kryptonite chest too so you're already beat to hell 
And now you're coming to meet me, draw, right? Draw Trump. Anyone who plays spades or hearts or any games like that, any Trump, ta- any trick-taking games, you know, sometimes you got to draw Trump. You have to get them to commit their good cards to get them out of their hand for you to exactly. pull your big move exactly. later. Always so, waste their resources. And if the big bad is in somewhere, you're going to have to fight to get to them. You're going to have to. I mean, I kind of love it when I'm DMing and there's the first encounter of the of, of the rest and the party comes out and throws a ton of resources at it. So I'm like, well, hey, do I want to let them short rest now or not? <laughs> the rest of the 12 hours of the day <laughs> should go well for you. If put that in my control now as a DM, I could decide if they're going to have to fight on low resources. Tony, I'm, I mean, what, what kind of tactics do you use for this? Well, I feel very strongly against fudging rolls. Uh, and when we were kicking this around, in all honesty... Then the question of, you know, okay, so on one hand, Dave says, you know, not all of them are same. Completely agree with that. But then I'm changing saving throws. Now am I house ruling stuff? Well, maybe I am. That seems reasonable. For me to adjust my counters around what's in the party, sometimes. I just don't want to do it all the time. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Tactics, can they prepare? Of course. Maybe a little little bit of like of all of these things uh, would would make it more more workable, honestly. Um, Tone, but, is this any different in your mind compared to what we were talking about? I think last episode where we were talking about you know you're looking and you're seeing the party you're about to kill them unintentionally, so you start to dial it back a little bit, right? Is there any difference for to dial it back up? To keep that level of – because as a DM, aren't you just kind of trying to adjust that tension knob, right? Well, rolling it up, rolling it back. Because we, we have no problem rolling it back, but we don't like it to roll it up, right? We feel like we're cheating or something, I think. Well, he, this is the problem. As Thorne is articulated, if I'm – now, if you're a monk and your primary – your claim to fame is I stun – and now all of a sudden his stun has got a low, lower success rate than he's hoping for, then perhaps that player is not having a good time. So, and I mean, I guess I'd have to take it in other respects. Am I going to pile so many hit points on this monster that maybe he can be stunned? I got to tell you, in my experience, when you stun a monster, he's screwed. doesn't matter <laughs> what it is. Everyone he's probably going to lose a lot by the yeah. next round. Yeah. He might not die, but he's losing that leg. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean... Everyone's going to throw their biggest stuff down on the table right here because now is your chance. So even if you're fighting um, a powerful opponent like a dragon, this dragon's jacked up and it's literally on its last leg coming from a stun. So uh, you you have to maybe not let him get whittled down. Like I mean, to be fair – the the monk has to connect and he has to fail a saving throw. And he has but, to spend or, a key point too. That's another thing to keep. That's that is we shouldn't look overlook that because there is a limited number of key points. There is an investment there. Absolutely. So I guess in in closing it and thinking all this through and all and all the dialogues we've had since we originally had our original conversation and coming into Storm's King's Thunder about what I wanted in there, um, the the monk itself, like I said, isn't necessarily terrible but i just still really stand that there are some things that i don't feel in the continuity of the world should be stunned in that context mm. and that's where they collide so i i mean i love the idea of a martial arts character doing backflips doing all this crazy stuff and maybe he's got elemental powers and that's awesome but you know can he stun an ogre sure can he stun a giant eh, maybe can he stun a kraken uh, I, I mean, now we're getting a little ridiculous. No, he probably can't. And that's that's in the end, that's kind of the point. And that's where I think uh, 5e has really done a wonderful job. They have tightened up those rules to the point where it does take care of a lot of the this obvious feedback that they received from some of the earlier editions, you know. But, I, mean, I think so. it. It does come down to kind of, you know, you mentioned right in the, in the beginning of your answer there, Tony, you mentioned, I think, the most important thing, which is. You know, you don't do it all the time. And, you know, the more we talk about this, so so coming at it from the, as from the player's point of view. Now, as we talked about earlier, I came in there wanting to play a monk, knowing you might have a problem, finding out he's a, a very stun-centric character, knowing the DM might have a problem with it. Um, we did what we should have done. We had a pregame conversation about how this was going to play. 
hearing what his feedback, I felt like I was going to go through the whole game worried about, well, is the DM going to basically hamstring my stunning ability? So I chose another character. Um, however, it sounds like after that, if you're in a game where you have this stuff going on, you can't easily swap out characters or you just, you don't even want to, maybe the guy wants to play that character. You want to allow it. It's a matter of how often do you intervene to keep something from getting stunned? Cause if it happens every now and then, it's not that big a deal. And I think maybe the most important part of it, part of the most important aspect of the DMs art here is that sometimes you gotta, you have to implement what you want the world to be without the players knowing. I think sometimes mm. you have to, you know, maybe, you know, whatever measure you take has to have an impact that, okay, it, it, it makes stun less important when I don't think it should be so important, but it does it in a way that the player character doesn't, necessarily feel is unfair to them which can be either encounter structure adding a resistance here or there but only not too often i mean everything shouldn't be immune to stun but a couple things can be you can throw that in a few times in a, in a campaign it's not going to be a deal breaker uh high resistance high saving throws i mean look if you explain to the character that you know hey this guy just keeps hitting his saves and that seems like a hardest like that's a hard stat to attack for him player's going to understand that every now and then i know as that battle master uh, he has Intimidating Strike, which attacks Wisdom, and most of his other stuff attacks Strength. And I know, I don't want to, I don't expect to trip the strong guys, and I don't expect to intimidate the wise characters. <laughs> so I know, you know, it's Intimidate the Yetis, trip the Wizards. I gotta tell you, <laughs> stuff blows its saving throw for you all day long. I can't even imagine if they were stunned. I, I I'm like, oh, Domino Yeti stunned. Oh, well, he stunned the Black Pudding. Hit him in that really squishy place. <laughs> but again, on, on so again on the player's side though, that doesn't uh, it doesn't feel uh, game breaking in any way because it's not happening all the time, and there's plenty of times where we fail, and then we're like, oh crap, yeah, something's about to happen, you know, but, and that tension is there. I mean, and you got to kind of it's a matter of the game. You know, we talk about the psychology, Dave. You mentioned the psychology is different between players and DMs. Yeah. And I think this is a spot where, as a DM, you need to take that more managerial approach to what you're doing. You know, and you do have to take that point of view of, okay, the game is, you know, I need to make sure I deal with this when it needs to be dealt with, but I need to do it in such a way that it's subtle, it's structural, it doesn't feel like I'm singling out a character. It just feels like the way that game broke in this particular instance. And I think you, I think that's the what you want to aim for in all these situations, because the conversation, what we started out, you know, kind of we came into this from the point of view of it's about continuity and verisimilitude, right? As much as the monk stunning the couch might break continuity and verisimilitude for you as the DM, the character built that the, the player built that character where his reality, the, the, what he wants to like continuity for him means he can stun the couch. So sometimes you need to be able to, to, to handle that in such a way where the player doesn't realize that you, you, you need to basically maintain your verisimilitude and continuity without breaking the player's continuity and verisimilitude with his character. All right. Imagine this. So you have um, the, you have David Carradine. He walk, he's working, walking with his blind master from Kung Fu. Chang King. Yes, and he's like, my son, this is your final test. He takes him into Raymore and Flanagan, and he's like, go. He's going to stun all the furniture in there. Um, well, first you need a high-powered necromancer but, to animate the furniture. No, no. So, for real, okay, let's let's go back to something Thorin said because I thought it was a it was a great point. Um, so much of the DM's job is how do you describe what's happening back to the players, right? Because the 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 DM owns the world, so the world means the effects that are happening, the physics of the world. Could I easily say to the animated broom that attacked you in Durst Manor, right? Could I have said, like, if you one of you guys stunned it, right? Well, did maybe you crack? You cracked one of the, the frame legs. The monk cracked the frame leg on the on the couch, and it kind of shifted it a little bit, and it, it and it had to, like, kind of gather its wits again for whatever wits a couch may have, right? But that description allows the character to still do what they do, but it also allows a level of continuity and verisimilitude in the same way that you could describe you feel the connection to the key of the great black dragon, but it's so massive and it's so alien to you. It's so ancient that like, you know, you're confused by it or it sends you back to a memory from childhood, whatever, and makes it a narrative way that goes, Oh, that was really fucking cool, man. How he described like that bill that goes into like my backstory, man. Right. Like whatever. 
And it still allows that continuity to exist while not necessarily saying, I don't like that rule, screw it, right? So there's a way that you can find the middle. I think my point uh, my stands on that, uh, Dave, that is a really good way of looking at it. Uh, <laughs> I don't but know. I don't when, like I stun, when I stun Strahd <laughs> in the end of your module, I mean, we'll see if you feel the same way about it. Um, I think we'll he'll describe that, that as you connect with his key and you're not, it's too big and powerful and you weren't able to overcome it. And he'll describe it as a, he made his saving throw, <laughs> you know, and whether he made his saving throw or not, or well, I, you know, and that's the thing, I guess if I'm happy, if, if it's the big bad situation with Strahd or Unicron or whatever, one, I want to make sure that Unicron stats are set at such an ability, at such a level that it's not going to be, he's going to make most of his saves because he is Unicron. I mean, I don't and, know. Do, is there a hard t- uh, limit of 30 in fifth? I think when it comes down to monsters, I haven't run those numbers. But this is something interesting we probably should mention. So when we're talking about saving throws, the player character's saving throw, like like the difficulty that he's imposing, is, uh, is 8 plus proficiency modifier plus ability modifier, which is capped at 20 for the most part. So you're talking the player character doesn't go higher than what is it? Your max proficiency modifier is plus five, right? I believe it's so, six. Yeah. Is it six? But okay, so basically, though, but there is a limit to how high the player difficulty can get. So at the end of the day, there is a point at which if a character, if a monster has a plus X, it goes there. It probably is going to save most of the time. There is a point at which the monsters are usually going to save. I mean, and as a, if you're creating a creature, you can say, okay, well, I want him to make this saving throw on a six or more. You know, and then that then that one time out of four when he does fail it, well, that's pretty impressive. Hey, you got him in just the right spot. You hit him where it's sensitive, and boom, he is stunned for a round. Do your worst. Yeah, we're but talking it, about like a 20th level character that's built through all of that. They're literally a superhuman, right? <laughs> that is the other thing, too. Yeah, I mean, the character taking on Unicron has become Super Saiyan Goku at that point of month. Yeah, he's, it's not the guy clearing out rats in the yeah. tavern basement, right? Like, that guy's gone. <laughs> right, but even at the 20th level, you have a ceiling. So yes. my question is, okay, can the There's, monster stun Unicron? Can, can, can he stun Zeus? I mean, Bamut? I mean, like, Torm? Can, can he, like, you know, I, I don't know. Here's an interesting point, I think, that a lot of people have gotten into because uh, way back in the day in 1E, they had released like uh, deities and demigods and stuff. And they said, oh, here's Thor and here's Thulu and all because they wanted people to beat them. And they went and they beat them. Right. So (laughs) a lot of times when uh, they'll be describing these things like Tiamat and, and Vecna and stuff as, in essence, avatars of these beings, because these beings can't actually come to the mortal realm. So it is possible that you could be defeating them because you're not necessarily fighting the actual, uh, you know, Asmodeus. You're fighting uh, an avatar of of him. Right. Yeah. I mean, and when it comes down to maintaining the verisimilitude or maintaining the continuity, I think as a DM, you know, I, I, we, we've used we've used this term a few times. I think it applies to the DM's art. There is the art to making your world work the way you want it to without alienating players, without breaking their continuity and bringing it all together. And I think really all the stuff we've talked about is key here. You know, it's OK. I want, you know, the player wants to play a stun centric character. Well, as a DM, how am I going to handle that in such a way that the world works the way I wanted to without basically negating the stun? Because, you know, I've actually got abilities that I really dislike that players get. Like, I mean, I've, I've mostly been on the pro player side here. I will tell you, as a DM, I hate dissonant whispers. Worst <laughs> spell design in the game. My big bad guy who's surrounded by the player characters now has to run out, take eight opportunity attacks and run away are you kidding me? I hate that. I hate the flavor of it. It ruins continuity. I have told characters, like, look, don't be surprised if one time he decides not to run away because all those OAs are going to count as a danger that he decides not to run into. I've, I've opened the ability. At the same time, you know, I've never actually prevented an enemy from running away. And I've had, we had a druid in the other game, the game that Tony was, or not a druid, he had a bard in the game Tony was in, who used that spell all the time. Oh my God, and did I, he ever... <laughs> Well, I, I'm like, are you kidding me? We've got everyone together. I drew the map. I got to draw a new. I got to expand the map now. Oh, my! Uh, my character in the Stormkin is the Bard, and he yeah. he hits dissonant whispers often. 
well, because it, it is a it's a powerful buff spell, man. I have I have I have made a uh, I have made it a policy that the when the creature comes back he will attack the bard. It will go out of its way to beat up the bard for making it run away. I feel that is totally in continuity. I don't feel like I'm doing anything wrong with that. It's if you make somebody make him run me. away, all of this will come back to hurt me. I know it will. Yeah. Toad's been taking it easy on me, and I know that will end soon. Once he steps with that poisonous bomb, and I'm like, sorry, Dave. What hit from like a fire giant might kill me outright. It might be mass damage for me. Because guys, just so you know, audience out there listening, uh, because I'm so into the role playing of it, I decided to play a dump stat with constitution. So (laughs) at fifth level, I had a total of 25 hit points. Uh, What am I at now? 29 hit points. I'm at now at sixth level. So, you know. (laughs) <laughs> the other player characters could kill you in one round. Yeah, exactly. Shang exactly. Fei, the Battlemaster, I think could probably kill your character in one round. So I'm going to use Dissonant Whispers and Phantasmal Force and all of this other stuff and run away. So that's the only thing I have. <laughs> which is fair. Which is fair. I mean, the player's got to use that stuff, but I do. So I mean, I think it's, you know, it's it's even the stuff that you hate as a DM It's figuring out how can you work with it in the world where you're not going to ruin the player character's you're not going to break their continuity, but at the same time, at the end of the day, it's your world and it's going to work the work the way you want it to, even if they can't always see the strings that get it there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think a part of that is, is not immediately reacting with you stunned my what? That is bullshit. What's wrong with it? <laughs> you stunned my battleship. <laughs> Flip the table. You got to choke that down, take on your managerial voice and be like, hmm, okay. (laughs) Mental note, what do I do about that next time? Well done. Well done. Yes, he failed his save for the sixth time in a row. Yeah. Which which brings up something we should deal with in another issue in another in another episode, which is, you know, how, you know, as a player, as a DM, you want to be a player and part of the guys, but sometimes you do have to keep that you gotta you have to be a little bit of a manager you know i think all of us have had a little bit experience supervising someone before you do take on even though you're dealing you're with your friends and you want to have a good time with your friends you do take on a little bit of a management role which is a tricky thing i think it's something we should talk about in a future episode mm. yeah i think we have talked this issue to death guys thank you very much i had a great time this is a i think that was a, that was a good conversation this was really and i mean what we learned was that tony really really hates monks yeah. So I don't know. I'm a wizard supremacist. So you know, put it <laughs> He's in a wizard com- supremacist. Yeah, yeah. Put it in the comments. You know, uh, start a Twitter hashtag. Whatever you guys want to do. I don't know. Just Three Wise DMs is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We also have the threewisedms.com website, and you can always reach us at threewisedms at gmail.com. And I think we would love to hear: Is this an issue for you? Because I don't know. It's a huge issue for us. You know, maybe that's just because of the way we talk. Is this a problem for you? How do you deal with it if it is? And most importantly, what issues do you have? What can we help you with in future episodes? But come back next week for another episode of Three Wise DMs. <laughs>